Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Southern New England's only home for sporting news radio. AM 1320, The Drive. WARL, Attleboro, Providence. Sporting News Radio. Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. reviewing the latest action of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and of course in the World Cup during this month. And uh, I'm joined today in studio by Patty Vine of Providence Sports. And a little later we'll be joined over the phone by Jack Huckle from the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, of course, the big news of the day, World Cup. Italy won the World Cup on penalty kicks. Uh, Beating Le Bleu, the French side. An excellent game, really. One-to-one. Uh, -one. Uh, Zinedine Zidane, a surprising uh, headbutt late in the game after exchange of words with Maserati of uh, the Italian team. Very sad ending to his illustrious career. And uh, I was with the French fans at the Alliance Francaise here in Providence. And uh, you could hear a pin drop after that happened. Because I think every, in everyone's mind, it was the turning point of the game. France was putting on a very good show up to that point. And then, is that... Zidane has scored a very good game, er, a very good goal on the penalty kick earlier, uh, chipping the ball uh, over Buffon uh, for the penalty kick. So he had been having a great game as well. He started off the tournament poorly, and I think some people thought that he was past it. But uh, as the tournament went on, he got better and better. So it was awful to see his career end that way um, if he really does go out with his retirement plans. And the rumors were he might come to the Red Bulls. Now I'm hoping he doesn't because I think that I don't have a really good feeling about him as a player after this because this was over a billion people watching a game and so I think the world is saddened by that action. Well certainly a horrible way to end your career but uh, there were reports in the New York Times that there was a possibility that he would come to the New York Red Bulls so it would be interesting to see if that still might happen or what the deal is with that but certainly uh, after this incident there is a bad taste in people's mouths uh, about the way he went out with his career because he was such a great player known for really his class and going out with such a classless act as headbutting um, Maserati it, it makes you wonder really what was said to him I wonder if that'll come out in the in the press if he'll try to defend his actions at all tomorrow um, of course, our local news here in Providence let off with even that story. And soccer in general, of course, there's many Italians celebrating the victory, the fabulous victory for Italy, fourth World Cup victory uh, here in Federal Hill, Cranston, and there's a very large Italian population uh, celebrating in Boston and Providence and all over the world tonight. And it was kind of surprising to see it go down that way with Zidane because... Uh, as I said, he's a player that has a lot of class, whereas Maserati is a player that's known for kind of the opposite, being a player that's kind of ended some players' careers, broken legs. Uh, he's, a, he's a player known for that, so it seems like probably did something to wind him up to see that happen. Don't want to speculate and, uh, you know, put him down for his past actions. He played a really good, good in the World Cup, but he is known for um, some bad plays that he's done in the past. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how the story unfolds. 
Exactly. And it's sad not to see him on the uh, with the French team getting a medal, even though it was a second place medal. Um, still something tarnished the whole uh, experience, I think. It certainly didn't help them that when they got to the penalty kick, they were missing him along with Henri and Patrick Vieira, three of their uh, leaders and players that probably would have been taking the penalty kicks uh, when they got there. So disappointing in that sense. And I'm not sure the coach really made any grave errors. I think uh, none perhaps taking some of the key players out, but of course counting on having Zidane, uh, that was the first time ever in the history of a World Cup a player was ejected in overtime. I'm sure no one was planning on on that happening. And uh, I always like to comment on coaches, especially the Italian coach. All praise to, to Lippi for his job, and I guess he's been uh, tapped for Manchester United. Yeah, certainly some uh, questionable tactics that maybe he put out against the U.S., but other than that, a flawless tournament for the way he played tactically uh, as a coach, and he did an excellent job. So surprising if it is true that he's heading to Manchester United for just a job as an assistant coach, unless uh, they're planning for, to maybe have him groom him to be the future head coach. That's exactly what I heard today. They're grooming him to take Ferguson's place um, as head coach. Certainly an excellent choice for that position, but uh, as I said, it would be interesting to see that he's choosing to wait uh, for a head coach job rather than move somewhere else and then maybe go there afterwards. Probably compensation has something to do. I'm sure he's being... Uh, who knows? I have no idea what the compensation could possibly be, even as an assistant coach for Manchester United. But I don't know if Ferguson has officially announced a retirement plan. Perhaps it's just a year job when he, he would be taking over probably the most prestigious coaching job at the club level in the world. Certainly, I think uh, a job such as uh, Real Madrid has lost its luster after so many coaches have gone there with such talented players, and they've really always failed to underperform. Uh, Chelsea has been probably a top coaching job, but exactly. I don't see that going to anyone anytime soon with Jose Mourinho there. So uh, Manchester United probably is the most prestigious job he could get at this point in time. Exactly. So um, all play praise to the Azuri and uh, celebrations tonight. <laughs> In Rome, Italy, here in Providence, Boston. And to get there, they had to knock out Germany, who was the host nation, so certainly no easy task that. And then the third-place match was yesterday as well. That was a very exciting game for a third-place match. Um, sometimes it seems like teams have hard trouble getting motivated. It could be said possibly for Portugal, the way they played, but uh, Germany played an excellent game, and we're up 3 to nothing and ended up winning 3-1. to one. What happened to Portugal? That's going to be my question to... Uh, any Portuguese enthusiast friend that I have next week. What happened in Portugal? They were predicted as one of the favorites, but they seem to, in yesterday's match, disappoint. Certainly, and let, let in uh, yellow cards for their mo most yellow cards in the history of the World Cup, so they get their names in the records books that way, but not sure that's how they wanted to go. And in the third place match, it was surprising that a guy like Luis Figo, who probably is playing in his last match possibly for Portugal, or at least his last World Cup match, certainly, uh, didn't even start the match didn't and start. came in very late. Uh, you, you'd think they would go out and at least try to get third place. That could have been a turning point in that match, too. He came in quite late into the match. And he's kind of a, a figure that is a motivator, uh, someone that could have 
been the, made the difference in that game. And he's been really their leader and uh, assist throughout the World Cup. I believe he had f three or four assists down the World Cup. Uh, had an excellent World Cup and surprising. I, I thought he was probably one of their better players. So it was surprising to see him on the bench there, considering it was probably his last World Cup game. The question is, did he want to be on the bench? Because you'd think for his last World Cup game, even though it was a third-place match and obviously down from losing to France, uh, it's a game you want to win and finish as high as you can. Germany took the right attitude into that game. Most definitely. And being the home country, they, I think, probably wanted it more. Portugal just seemed very flat, and it wasn't the same team. Uh, I don't know what happened to Portugal. And Germany certainly represented themselves very well throughout the tournament, only going out uh, due to Italy late, late in the game. The 119th minute, uh, Italy scored two goals to end Germany's chances of going to the final. But I think Jurgen Klinsmann, can, uh, a lot of praise can go to him for the way he changed his team around from a team known more for its defense to a team that really was producing a lot of offense throughout most of the tournament. And the rumors are that the U.S., uh, national team is interested in bringing him over. Certainly, Bruce Arena has yet to be uh, released or resigned, so uh, he could still stay on. But very interesting possibility that Jurgen Klinsmann could come to the U.S. Certainly, a coach I think would be an excellent choice for the U.S. The way he's coached Germany throughout the tournament. However, today I did hear that the large percent of the German players and fans want him to stay on as the coach of the German team. Yeah, 93 percent of the fans. 93 percent. Study said that, and the entire team wanted him there. Uh, but he has had some issues in the past with uh, Beckenbauer, I believe, and the fans as well, calling him California Clinsey and things like California that. California Clinsey. And he certainly doesn't seem ready to move back to Germany. I think he would like to stay in the U.S., and it would be more convenient for him to coach the U.S. team if he's going to do that. And I think the, German might, the Germans might wish him to come back and stay in Germany if he's going to stay on as the coach. Well, if he's going to live here and he wants to coach the U.S. team, I'm certainly going to be... I wish that he would, because look at the job he did with bringing in the younger players, uh, the offensive-mindedness of the team, as you say. Uh, I don't even want to touch on the U.S. performance, and lackluster is a compliment, I think, for what happened there for a variety of reasons. But I, I always hold the coach responsible. Maybe that's not the way to look at it. And maybe some people would not agree, but I do. And I was really disappointed. I was a big fan of Bruce Arena prior to this. And I don't think the team was properly prepared. Even in the pre-games that we saw in the U.S. against Morocco. Well, certainly his initial comments seem to indicate that he maybe was looking to resign and move on to another job. But most recently it sounds like from his recent comments that he would like to stay on. So I think the U.S. Uh, Federation, U.S. Soccer Federation is going to be put in the position to choose whether he stays or whether he goes. And it will be interesting to see if they can make the tough decision uh, of letting him go or if they choose to keep him on. Because certainly I think most of the fans are calling for a change right now after that World Cup performance. We took a step backwards. Why should this country be taking a step backwards? With well, the resources, the player pool that's growing larger... I don't, I can't fathom that, why we should settle to take a step backwards. Well, it seems like all the talk has always been uh, 2010, Project 2010. Uh, they had the team to do it this year, I think, to do a lot better than they did. But 
2010 looks promising if they can bring in the right coach. Certainly the player development is getting better. You see guys like Michael Bradley who at 18 are already starting in, like, in Holland and countries like that. So the progress is getting much, much better. With the right coach, I think this team could really be a contender maybe even in 2010. Too early to say that now, but the potential is there. Exactly, Sean. I hadn't heard Project 2010 in a while, but that was the... That was all we heard a few years back, 2010, 2010. I hadn't, you just jogged my memory on that. So that's kind of going to possibly give Bruce Arena a break because everyone is focusing on South Africa, 2010. And the other interesting thing with that is, as you mentioned, Manchester United, Marcelo Lippi possibly hiring their assistant coach. Well, their current assistant coach, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong, but Carlos Chiarez or something along those lines, he was big involved in U.S. soccer and part of Project 2010, and he's another name that's been listed as a possible candidate to take over for uh, the U.S. coaching job. He was also a candidate back when Bruce Arena was coach, so he was big exactly. involved in 2010. Maybe he'll come as well uh, with that, with possibly Bush being pushed out of Manchester United with uh, Lippi coming in to coach. But didn't Carlos Quiroz coach the Metros, when the Metro Stars were the Metro Stars for a short time yes, period. Yes, he, he did for a short time period. It was terrible. He didn't do, it, it was a, a, a flop. Well, I should hope his experience has gotten better after working with a great coach such as Alex Ferguson. So uh, I, would th I would think he's improved since then. But exactly. He's had some ups and downs in his career. And so I kind of want to see somebody that's had more positives and no no downs. <laughs> well, at the same time, it seems like just about every coach who has coached the exactly. Metro Stars has had a horrible time. Bob Bradley looked like he'd be the future national team coach after his time with Chicago. Coached the Metro Stars, horrible. And then uh, Bora, from, who had coached the U.S. previously and had coached many That's teams. That's true. Horrible there. So I, I think it's a bad place for coaches to go, and they want to stay away from the Metro Stars. And what about, Sean? Here we are halfway through the season. What about the Metro Stars? What they've had two wins. This is a big franchise. This is a big market. It's a total flop this year. Well, it started off great with the attendance, and they're putting out some fairly good performance to start the year. But it seems like now the players have lost respect for the organization. Uh, the fan support has gone way down. Uh, it's, it's even become questionable whether this team will want to stick around next year the way the fan support has gone. Um, they've made promises to bring in some big-name players. Uh, they, they certainly made a... Well, at least it was reported they made a bid for Ronaldo. Got their names in the papers for that. Uh, Zidane, if he ever came there, I think that would attract fans. But their performances have been awful. Uh, certainly, they have some talented players. Amado Guevara seems to be cruising for, through this season. Uh, Yori Djurkioff has been playing, has left for been gone the past two weeks um, while watching France in the World Cup. So it seems like a lot of players don't really care about the team as much anymore. Edson Bundle, we saw him score that great goal against the Revs. Goal of the week. Didn't even celebrate it, really. Didn't, didn't seem to have the passion there after scoring it. That's, they need a good coach. They need a really strong, good coach to put that team in shape. They have a lot of talent there, but the, this, this is a, a disaster. I don't think firing Mo Johnson uh, was necessarily the right thing to do before they had another coach lined up because Richie Williams has not proved to be an upgrade at all. Uh, turn for the worse, uh, if, in my opinion, certainly. Uh, I think they should have kept Mo Johnson until they had a replacement ready, at least. Exactly. It made my head spin when I heard he was the coach. Uh, I, can't, I couldn't even imagine how they picked him. 
and of course there's some talk that Bruce Arena could go there. Um, just rumors at this stage. But I don't know if you'd want to go there after it's time with the U.S. national team. It doesn't seem like a good place for a team that you'd want to recover at as a coach. I, I don't know. Alexi Lawless, of course, went uh, left and uh, is with the Galaxy. I'm not sure who's running the show there. And obviously whoever it is is, is not taking the bull by the no pun intended, bull by the horns and getting things in shape. Well, prior to the World Cup, there had been some talk that some of the former star players who had been involved with the New York Cosmos uh, would come and be a part of the Red Bulls front office after the World Cup, so it's yet to be seen if that happens, but certainly they could use some help. Exactly. What are they waiting for till the fan base gets to zero? I mean... It's it's halfway through the season. This is you know they're not playing good soccer. They don't have a, a, a qualified. I'm going to say qualified coach because Richie Williams has never coached, as far as I know, before. Not to say he can't become a good coach, but it looked like they needed a a, a coach with a lot of experience, that proven experience, to put this uh, team back together. Luckily for any coach who does come in, certainly. Not very far out of the playoff picture. Um, six points back from Kansas City with the game in hand. So they are a team that can come back and get into this picture. Uh, really, first place seems almost out of the question for anyone in the East other than D.C. right now, unless they go on a huge slump. The, the run they've on, been on is amazing. Uh, amazing. Better than any run they actually ever had when Bruce Arena was coaching, and they were the top team in the league for several years. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone can catch them and even beat them in the playoffs the way they're going. They seem un unbeatable. They seem unbeatable. Uh, of course, logically, we would say they'll win the East and we'll see them in the Cup. Uh, that would be my best guess at this point. Uh, what can we say? I mean, they seem unbeatable at this point. Well, certainly, yes, yesterday, uh, they were up one nothing. But in the 60th minute, they went down a man and continued to hold on to the lead for the rest of the game. So managed to even come through and pull out a win in adverse conditions where I think most people expected them to at best get a draw. Right. Uh, and uh, once again, they, they seem to be on the, a roll. Twelve wins this season so far, as opposed to, say, New England with six, half that many. However, we have the... I think we could catch up. I, I don't know, catch up, but I think we could give them a good good run the way our team's playing right now, as long as we don't have these second halves that both you and I have witnessed at Gillette Stadium where things seem to fall apart in the second half. Well, it seems like nothing's coming easy for the Revs recently. Uh, other than the 4-0 win against Los Angeles in, every, in pretty much every game, uh, the other team has been in it and pressuring the Revs, and they've been more of a struggle to win these games recently than in the past, but... With Noonan making a late appearance, it seems like he's coming back. Uh, Daniel Hernandez is very close to coming back. Uh, it seems like the team will probably be will probably be close to full strength pretty soon. And then there's really no excuse to have the depth when everyone's healthy. And they've added more depth by giving some of these guys experience when people are not healthy. So I think they can make it a challenge for D.C. Certainly they'll need a lot, little help from the rest of the league in beating D.C. to get them to lose some points. But uh, We can do that. We can. We've done it. We we know that we we could do that. Well, we saw the Revs play DC a little bit earlier in, in the year at Gillette Stadium, and I thought the Revs were possibly the better team in that game. They only came away with the tie, but I think they were a little unlucky to come away with the tie. So uh, 
if they can play like that and just put away their chances next time, I think they could beat D.C. We could beat, we could beat D.C. on any given night, especially at home. Certainly at home. It's Certainly D.C. It's very home. hard to play, but that's why it's so important to at least try to catch up to D.C. because if the Revs do finish in second place and then advance from the first round, most likely they'd end up playing D.C. in D.C. And last time that happened, 2004, possibly the best game in MLS history, the 3-3 draw, uh, first playoff game ever to be decided on penalty kicks. But in a situation like that, you'd much rather be at home than playing away. And we have a game coming up Friday night at 7.30 at Gillette Stadium against Real Salt Lake. Another team that just hasn't been able to get it together this season at all. I started to watch a little bit of the game yesterday uh, uh, with Galaxy. Uh, Galaxy ended up winning 2 nothing, But uh, Real Salt Lake does not look like a contender at all this year. Yeah, it's dead last in the league currently. They were above Los Angeles for a while, but since Donovan's return... Uh, the Los Angeles were doing much better. I believe they scored four goals since he's come back. He scored three of them and set up the third, instead of the fourth. So he's really rejuvenated the team. We've seen he can carry a team on, a back, on his back when he wants to. Uh, seems like he didn't want to in the World Cup for whatever reason, but uh, he's been doing great for Los Angeles. They can make another run. Uh, we saw last time they finished in the fourth seed and then won the MLS Cup. So certainly shouldn't count them out yet. No, and actually Chivas, I think, is doing, uh, they, they ended up losing to Dynamo uh, yesterday, but I think they're doing a, a lot better under Coach Bob Bradley. I think they pl the game was excellent because I was flipping through channels watching the various MLS games. It was an end-to-end -end action start to finish with Chivas and Dynamo. It was a great game. Uh, Chivas losing, however, 3-1. to one. I think the score is a little bit deceptive, but Chivas is, uh, could, could come back, too. I think the loss could possibly be uh, blamed on the goalkeeper, Preston Burpo, for at least the second goal. Uh, horrendous. He had both hands on the ball, let the guy steal it from him. It seems like maybe it's time to go back to Brad Guzon, who I thought was playing very well, and it was surprising that they go away from a youthful keeper who's going to be the future of the team to an older keeper who, while he has good stats right now, I have not been impressed with in the games I've seen him play. Absolute correct. Goalkeeper errors cost them that game. So I don't know. Burpo, I, I had to go online and look at his background after I saw how the game was going, and I wasn't familiar with him as a goalkeeper, and he played nine years for Seattle Sounders. He's actually got New England roots as well. Uh, having played uh, in New Hampshire, I believe, for the Phantoms at one point. But, right, that was goalkeeper errors um, that cost Chivas maybe even a tie. Certain, certainly Chivas is an improved team, though. Uh, that aside, Bob Bradley um, managed to improve Chivas a lot, it seems like. Uh, wasn't able to do that with the Metro Stars, as we said earlier, but with his improvement of Chivas, Maybe he's another coach that could be back into the picture for a uh, possible national team coach as well. Exactly, and his player, Ante Rossoff of Chivas, still leads in goals with 11, uh, 11 goals. He is the goal-scoring leader, followed by Jaime Moreno of D.C. Imagine, after 11, his 11th season. Uh, second in goals, Brian Ching. He's been playing also. Extremely well. Extremely Even after well. The World Cup has still managed to stay in third place uh, in scoring. So I think he's a player that should be a great 
contender for the golden shoe this year, or golden boot, after how well he's played um, before the World Cup. And after the World Cup, he's carried it over, too. Makes you wonder what he could have done if he had played in Germany. He would have been my pick to play in Germany, absolutely, as a, uh, I think he's a great forward. And I think the Western Conference, Sean, is going to be between Houston and, and Dallas in the end run. Well, Colorado's certainly making a late push as well. Exactly. Uh, six points back from Dallas, but two games in hand, so two wins there, and they're right there. And uh, good news for them is Clint Mathis has finally found the score sheet. Uh, late goal in their one last night as well. So their team that's making a late push, they played a good game against the Revolution uh, on July 4th this week. Uh, another game to talk about in which they scored an early goal. Dempsey tied it up with an excellent goal off of an Andy Dorman pass. Uh, then they scored two more goals, and Twelman scored the late goal in that game to make it 3-2. to two. But Colorado seemed like definitely were going to win that game despite that goal, even if Twelman had stayed out there. Uh, Dorman had a great game in that game, but Colorado was a much improved team from what we've seen last year and the pe- previous seasons. So maybe uh, the West is going to, well, the West is obviously a lot closer in points uh, than the East with uh, the big lead that DC United managed to grab in the first half of the season. Yeah, t- uh, 17 points separate first from second in the East, where in the West, um, the, the close. difference is very close. Very Seven close. points separate. Uh, first from fourth, but then with the games in hand there, uh, Colorado two less than Dallas and six points back. Uh, Houston one less than Dallas and six points and three points back. So very close there. That that race could go anyway. Anyway, and uh, Dallas is of course the leader right now with uh, 30 points, but only three points ahead of Houston. It's also interesting to note that Colorado is the lone team to have beaten DC United this year. So. Certainly they are a team to watch out for. I didn't know that. Colorado Rapids, that's right. When they were playing, that's it. When they played as a visitor in Colorado, they got beaten. And Colorado with the home field advantage that is different than any other teams because of the altitude. Altitude. And I think that gives them a big edge, especially if they can manage to go first and get uh, the the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So it's going to be a, a close race. Uh, New England only having 15 more games. I'm hoping that we can really easily beat Real Salt Lake based on the performances you and I have seen of that team. I I would assume that that's a given. Well, if they play the way they did against Chicago in the first half, we'd probably see them win. But if they play the way in the second half, uh, we've seen them play, come up flat-footed against Salt Lake uh, earlier in the season in a 0-0 drop. They were really fortunate to win that game. Uh, Salt Lake had tons and tons of chances where they could have gotten in it and scored a goal to win it. But the, the Revs held on for a 0-0 drop. Very uninspiring performance by the Revs then. Of course, now they've gotten back their players from the World Cup. Getting Noonan and healthy other players will be a big boost. But a must-win game, really, when you think about it, uh, the tough opponents they have coming up compared to uh, the challenge Salt Lake will bring. And, of course, uh, this week we have the team uh, Celtic uh, coming into town. I did a little research on that team. Uh, The history, it was founded, when was MLS founded? 1996. In 1888, Celtic Football Club was founded in, of course, uh, Glasgow, Scotland. And... uh, their uh, uniforms are the emerald green and white. 
They were champions of the European Cup in 66 to 67, finalists in the UEFA Cup in 2002 to 2003. Uh, in one interview, they're coming here to play DC United on Wednesday night. Chivas of Guadalajara in New York on Saturday. Uh, and the Revolution uh, on the 20th, a week from this Wednesday. And since they haven't started that season, their season yet, their uh, player Virgo, his name is Virgo, V-I-R-G, Adam Virgo, he's, he was quoted in, in an article that, I'm quoting him, stadiums and facilities meaning in the U.S. are excellent, the weather will be perfect, and we'll be coming up against a different type of opposition. We're used to playing against good technical European sides. But I'm, meaning Virgo, sure the sides we face in America will be a tough prospect as well. They're very much into the scientific side of football. I'm not sure what that means. And it will be a different test for us. Preseason is all about getting to full fitness, and I think we'll be able to be in prime shape come the start of the season against Kilmacott. The teams they play, they're having a friendly when they get back against Everton, who's coming to the U.S. Who do you play Columbus Crew, and that Columbus game is going to be, I believe, July 26th or somewhere around there. And that game will be on ESPN or ESPN2. That should be an excellent game. Exactly. One of the few of the international type that we're going to get to see on TV. And Celtic is also playing Chelsea, I believe, who will be playing the MLS All-Stars, as well as Manchester United. Uh, the unfortunate thing about Celtic is they will be coming without uh, former Manchester United legend Roy Keane, who announced his retirement a little bit earlier. Would have been a great player to see, but still it should be an excellent game. And it's also great to see that the Revs have been... Uh, the Revs and Celtic have both been putting effort into marketing the game in New England, seeing two ads for it during the World Cup final. So right. hopefully it can be a great crowd for that match. And watching the D.C. game last night, I was surprised to see they were advertising for it. Of course, it's Wednesday night. And um, so we'll see how the crowd... how. How much the team attracts a good crowd? I hope I'm not sure what the ticket sales have been. But the DCs will be this Wednesday, and the Revs will be next Wednesday. The following Wednesday, the 20th, and they play in a league with teams named, for example, uh, Saint Mirren, Inverness, Hibernian, Aberdeen, of course the Rangers, and Dundee United. Scottish teams that I'm really not familiar with, other than the Rangers. Certainly their league has some tough teams as well as some of the weaker teams, but I think the experience from that team is great because they've also played in the Champions League in which they face some of the top competition in the world, and have done fairly well in the Champions League as well, so certainly a tough opponent and should be a great game uh, next Wednesday on July 19th. Uh, but last night the Revs also had a win against Chicago. We might talked a little about it earlier. An excellent first half Two Excellent spectacular person. goals. Spectacular. The best we've seen. Some of the best we've seen. Well, one by Steve Ralston. No look shot into the upper corner after a great move by Dempsey to get around his man with an excellent pass. Uh, really exciting soccer, that one. Exciting first half. The Revs were the better team, but Chicago had a chance as well. Right after that, they had one off the crossbar, so the Revs were a little lucky to dodge a bullet there. But then down the other one, and Taylor Trone with an excellent heel pass to Andy Dorman. Uh, left-footed shot, which we're not used to seeing from Andy Dorman, off the uh, post and into the net for another spectacular shot that really Zach Thornton had no chance at. Two beautiful goals, really. The second half was a stark contrast, though, with uh, Nate Jacoba scoring a goal to make it 2-1. to one. Several other chances, most of them over the net. Uh, some great saves by Matt Reese. Uh, 
I think Chicago can feel unlucky not to have gotten at least a point out of that game with the chances they produced in the second half. I believe it was something like 13-1 to 1 in shots in the second half, or even more than that. We were the spoilers at Toyota Park this year. Their opening, we ended up tying two late goals. And then they won three games after that there. And exactly. Then, uh, we ended up winning the first, their first loss. First, their first, handing them their first loss at, at Toyota Park. So, uh, I'm optimistic for the rest of the season for Revolution with the, the way they played in the first half, but pessimistic with seeing how, and you and I have witnessed that at Gillette Stadium, second halves where they, they, we've just, they've been nail biters because we saw the team just let down and not play the same way they did in the first half, and so we were just wondering, could we pull off this win? And Real Salt Lake coming up on Friday, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a low place team, but it seems like the Reds have had some struggles against uh, the lower place teams, the last place in the league, but uh, they had struggles against them earlier. So they'll need to come out quick out of the gates. Sometimes we've seen them, actually most of the games this year, I think we could say they've started slowly. Recently that has gotten better, but they'll need to start quickly, and they'll need to start quickly in the second half as well, which has recently been the problem, rather than starting slow in the first half. And uh, we also, I think, want to mention about Taylor Twellman, uh, who used that back heel pass last night? That was a really he's he's a fabulous player. He's, he's certainly back on form with uh, three goals in a row in the three previous games, and then have the assist in this game. So uh, four game point streak. Uh, as you were talking about, he's he is up for the ESPY on ESPN. Uh, you can vote for him at ESPN.com for the MLS player. Used, they used to do it ridiculously. They used to have uh, just one soccer player in which they'd throw in someone like Landon Donovan with Ronaldinho. Uh, but now they have two separate categories, world soccer player and MLS player. He will be up against Landon Donovan. Tough competition. Jaime Moreno of DC United uh, and Dwayne Di Rosario. Tough competition for that award. And those awards will be telecast on ESPN next Sunday night at 9 p.m. And also making a push and the all-star voting, fan voting, I think he's about fourth in that right now. But uh, I, I think with the um, media voting and everything else, he will make the team. Whether it be a starter or not, we've seen how well some of these other players have been doing this year. But he's really caught on lately and has been returned to really the Taylor Twelman from years past. I think what's hurt him is during the World Cup, without Noonan and without Dempsey, he really has been a lone man up top and hasn't really had much else of a threat. So they've really been able to triple team him to knock out the Rose threat. He's healthy. He's confident. He's got the support. And I think we're going to see him have one of the best rest of the seasons he's ever had. I think he's really going to. He's. he's I think he's ready, primed to to shine and be a top scorer and assist for the team. And we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back with. Jack Huckle from the National Soccer Hall of Fame.
120 years, the Sun Chronicle newspaper has been providing Southern Massachusetts with the best in local news. And now, the Sun Chronicle is available in stores and on racks every day by 6 a.m. But that's not all. When you open your Sun Chronicle, you'll find three new tabloid-sized pull-out sections. There's The Place, written by teenagers for teenagers. The Place will feature interviews with local high schoolers and also contain student art as well as what's hot in music and Hollywood. You can also look for the Sun Chronicles newly designed pull-out sports section. Not only will you continue to get the Sun Chronicles award-winning coverage of local and pro sports, but you, the reader, can sound off in the all-new sports forum. Finally, look out for the Get Out section every Thursday for a helpful way to plan your weekend. Get Out offers theater reviews as well as listings of night spots, restaurants, and movies. Get Out will also provide best bets to help you make the most of your leisure time. The Sun Chronicle newspaper, your very best source for local news. And now back to Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm joined in the studio by Patty Vine of Providence Sports. And over the phone we have Jack Huckle. Jack, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Sean. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. And the excellent World Cup final today. Uh, what were your thoughts of it? And were you shocked to see Zidane make that uh, really classless play from who's otherwise a very classy player? Yeah, that that was a shocking moment, wasn't it? It was a it was a really good game. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, you always look for more goals, but both teams were so well organized defensively that there was never a defender isolated. Uh, just a couple big saves by the keepers. Um, you know, you always want to see them win it in regular time and not in penalties, but that's not what happened today. It seems like this World Cup has had a lot more games decided in penalty shootouts than we've maybe even seen in the past. Uh, is, is that showing really that the, the teams are becoming more evenly matched and the gaps in the soccer world are getting smaller? I, I think teams are far more evenly matched. Uh, there aren't very many minor teams. You look at the one kind of bad result of 6-0, it was Croatia on the other end of that 6-0 result, and you didn't see that of Togo or Ghana or the other teams that were theoretically the minnows, Australia certainly showed they weren't a minnow, so I, I do think the, the football world is evening out a lot. And as you mentioned, teams like uh, Ghana and Togo and teams like that, that Ghana really put on a good show. Some of the other African teams maybe could be a little more disappointed with their performance. Uh, Ghana the only team to make it out of the group stages, but will they be more of a threat in the next World Cup? Uh, with some 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 of these teams have several young players that are that showed well in this World Cup. Will they be more of a threat in South Africa when they're playing on African soil? Uh, I think they will be. It's it's cyclical with a lot of teams. That is, they have a good generation, and you don't always follow one good generation of players with another. Maybe because you're successful. At, a country or the development gets a little bit complacent. I, I don't know. And I think it's way more difficult for those smaller countries to 
be able to do that consistently. And I, I put us in that category. You know, we're not a team yet who's proven that we can be consistently competitive on the international level. And what are your thoughts on the U.S. performance in this World Cup? Obviously very disappointing uh, for those who expected the team to advance out of the group, but they were drawn into the, what arguably the most difficult group and the only group that every team was still in it by the last game. Yeah, I, you know, when the group got drawn, I said, boy, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult to get out of this group. And I, I, don't, I didn't feel disappointed in the results as much as disappointed in how our players went about it, particularly in the first game against the Czechs. And, the, you know, the last 30 minutes against Ghana, I didn't see the kind of reaction we saw for the last 30 minutes Germany against Poland or the last 30 minutes when Australia needed that goal so badly. And, and I didn't see... I didn't feel like I saw our players throwing themselves into it as a whole group of 11. Um, you know, that's one of the, the great things the Revs can talk about is they had one of the players who really threw themselves at the game. Um, we can't say that about all our players, I don't think. Tactically, were you a little surprised that in some of these games where the U.S. Uh, needed a win and obviously needed goals to get that win, that they only played with one forward? Yeah, well, and and doesn't that strike a mentality when you go on the field, too? Well, certainly the way they played in uh, the previous World Cup, uh, they played like they had nothing to lose and played uh, offensively and played some great soccer, and that's when they got the results. They seemed to go away from it this year, and as we saw with the 4-5-1, they weren't scoring goals other than the great goal by Dempsey. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the differences, of course, we were lucky in 2002 to advance, thanks to South Korea. But at the, at the same time, this was the first time our players went to a World Cup, I, I hope, feeling like they were responsible to the country and that they had to perform. And maybe what we learned is we're not ready to wear that that cape that says we're responsible, we have to perform under pressure. And and I think that's part of the learning process, perhaps both on the players and on the coaching staff and the whole management that going there with responsibility changes a lot. What do you think of the comments made by a player like Claudio Reyna as well as Bruce Arena that more of the players need to go to Europe? Uh, do you think that's more used as a scapegoat, especially when some of the better players for the U.S. in the World Cup were Clint Dempsey and Jimmy Conrad and players right from MLS? Well, I think, it, I think one, it depends on the player and how willingness they are to be competitive all the time. In Europe, you fight for your job every day. There isn't a New England player who's going to knock Clint or Taylor out of the starting lineup, I don't think. And so does that make it easier for them in practice? Can they go to practice and know that even if they have a bad day of practice, it, they're still going to be in the first 11 this coming Saturday? And, and I think that's the part that Bruce is talking about. If Clint and somebody like Taylor can stay 
always, always competitive and aggressive, then they can do it here. But if they're going to rest, then they can't. Well, I think, as you said, uh, it does go down to attitude where we see a guy like Landon Donovan, who sometimes, uh, can be said, doesn't show up for some of the MLS games, uh, recently has, but obviously that's with Los Angeles in desperate need of wins. But with a Clint Dempsey, you see he always does give 100%. And then you see a guy like Demarcus Beasley go over to Europe and play poorly for a few games and lose a starting spot. I think uh, that might have hurt his confidence going into the World Cup as well. And it really depends on the situation where he might have done better had he stayed in MLS and gotten more playing time and kept his confidence. That's uh, yeah, it's a, as we were saying. That's an individual thing, and he started out there well. Something's gone on. Whether it's he, the coach, there's a you know you could say it's a communication thing. I don't know, but certainly he didn't come into the World Cup playing well, and we weren't as a team particularly impressive in those three warm-up games either. I didn't think. Certainly not against some lesser opposition, uh, scoring one goal, losing to Morocco. Morocco. And yep. Some of the games really were poor performance that their teams looked evenly matched when they shouldn't have with the quality that uh, we know the U.S. has and has shown in the past. Uh, Mr. Huckle, this is Patty Vine. I wanted to ask you uh, a question regarding... Uh, the growth of soccer, and we had the World Cup, of course, here in 94, and I remember after the Cup uh, looking desperately to try and find a soccer game, perhaps, at any uh, semi-professional level, and luckily encountering the Rhode Island Stingrays, but other than that, there was nothing, and it was a big void. Uh, right now, uh, I think we're at a pretty good point if we want to take some perspective on the growth that's happened in soccer and the quality of teams coming here. Could you make a comment? The the Open Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure, Patty. Thanks for your question. And Patty, it's Jack. Oh, Jack. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the ways, one of the things I believe is. Um, we owed a, a first a great debt of gratitude to the NASL and the, the the owners and players who committed to growing that league from the late 60s into the 80s when it finally folded. folded. And, and I always use an example as Dallas. There was very little soccer, all ethnic, going on in Dallas in the 60s. And now Dallas is just booming with soccer. Um, the, you know, your neck of the woods always had very good soccer. Uh, an amount of it, you talk about the Open Cup, the, the, the Fall River Marksmen were Open Cup champions in 1930, right there in, in your neck of the woods. And some of the great teams of America's history have come out of the Boston area. The World Cup really gave us a chance to to re-kick off professional soccer and you know, the, the commitment that somebody like Lamar Hunt and the other early investors and now Philip Anschutz have shown or have been remarkable. The game has grown. There's so many ways we can say how this game has grown. You see it on television all the time. Maybe it's not a game. Maybe it's a commercial. But the idea that the companies want to sell their product with soccer as a backdrop means it's really a big part of our culture. Is It's not yet 
a part of our fan culture the way, should we say, the NFL is. But uh, that's just going to take time. They got a big head start on us at a high level of professional play. But uh, we've seen huge growth. And you talked about the open, about the success of. Uh, Massachusetts team, how they were some of the better teams, and the Fowler Marksman uh, right here from New England were one of the top teams who uh, won the Open Cup, I believe, a record five times, uh, and several other teams from Massachusetts have been successful in that sense. Uh, the Open Cup, obviously, going on right now, the big upset with uh, Roma, I believe, out of Dallas, Roma FC, defeating Miami FC, who were the who are one of the top teams in the USL Division One and have such star players as Romario. Were, were you surprised by that? And uh, how great is it to see some of these upsets with uh, really what is an amateur adult team who now get to go on and play Chivas USA from MLS? Well, it, it's a great thing about a cup competition, isn't it? That, that those kind of results, that, that's what makes the FA Cup or the German Cup, all of those interesting competitions. Sometimes the higher level team tries to get away by using some reserves and and every year since MLS has been formed we've seen some of those great upsets with 99 being the biggest when the Rochester Raging Rhinos of the A-League beat four MLS teams on their way to the championship. So, so I think that's one of the romances of a cup competition that I hope we can get fans interested in. And, and you know, I tell people, if you want to see what it's all about, visit the museum where you can see the Dewar Challenge trophy, the traditional trophy of the tournament given to the United States in 1912. Uh, 30 to 40 inches worth of sterling silver. Just a classic, classic trophy. Certainly, I've been there and seen it. It's, a, it's an amazing trophy to see, and it's, amazing, it's a great trip to make uh, to Oneonta to see the Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, excellent place. I think any soccer fan needs to make that trip at least once in their lifetime. <laughs> Definitely more more than that, as, as it always changes. It's a great place to go to. Uh, but back on the Open Cup topic, uh, the Revolution have seemed to be a team that did well in the past, but sometimes, like some other MLS teams, don't necessarily take the tournament seriously enough and end up losing out. How is, can this tournament be made maybe more prestigious to make both the teams and the fans uh, more interested in the tournament and make it more of something that teams really need to win as much as they almost want to win MLS Cup? Well, I think that's a responsibility of the teams in U.S. soccer in the end, and that is they have to sell it to their fans as an important competition and as a uh, another chance for a championship. This is, the Cup is U.S. soccer's national championship as compared to Major League Soccer's national championship. I think U.S. soccer does a nice job by putting $100,000 of prize money out there. That makes it worth something. Um, certainly makes it worth something to the amateur and, and lower level teams because they get a healthy paycheck out of it if they advance. Um, I think we just keep educating people about the great history of it, and and uh, hopefully that's what will catch people. The same thing we're doing in trying to build the league. It's another vehicle to sell people on the great competitive game of soccer. And, Jack, uh, I think Houston, Dynamo are doing a great, great thing. They have a double header in which they, uh, for their first U.S. Open Cup 
game on August 2nd. The first game will be uh, Olympia uh, champion of Honduras versus uh, Deportivo Aguila champion of El Salvador as a double header for the U.S. Open Cup. It can't get better than that. No, that's going to great in, bring in a great audience in the Houston area, isn't it? Two, two good uh, Central American teams will add, hopefully, to the fan base for the Houston Dynamo, that they'll come out, play well, and play attractive soccer that'll make those that are coming to see the Hondurans play or the El Salvadorians play to come back and watch Houston play. Right, and they'll be facing either Seattle Sounders or Carolina Dynamo in that game, depending on the results in the round three. Yep. And what do you think it makes some of these teams more successful maybe in the Open Cup? Where with the Rochester Rhinos, we've seen they've had some great success, but with some other USL teams, uh, really maybe struggled against MLS opposition. Certainly, Rochester Rhinos seem to be more the exception than the rule. Uh, is there anything in particular that I think makes them more of a team uh, for the upsets? Well, I think they've they've come the closest to emulating what Major League Soccer does. That they have a uh, a, a pretty aggressive player salary budget. They have a great new park, fourteen thousand seats, a great soccer park now in Rochester, and a great tradition in Rochester of. of uh, tremendously competitive soccer. The Rochester Lancers of the old NASL were w one of the better teams, and before that they were a very competitive team in the old American Soccer League. So it's tradition and the willingness to, uh, and the ability to pay players to play. And of course, next year the MLS is expanding to Canada with the Toronto team. Uh, there's been talk in the past of expanding to Rochester. Uh, what do you think of the expansion to Tor Toronto, maybe over some of the team, some places in the U.S., such as Rochester? Well, I like that we're expanding. I think we need to grow the league that the teams play each other at 12 teams. They play each other too much. We need a league where, where you're not playing a team four times. Um, and Toronto came up with the whole package before anybody else did, and I think that's what MLS is looking for. Do I wish it were Rochester rather than Toronto? Sure, but Rochester doesn't have, just this year got the stadium, and it's a little small, and doesn't have yet the financial backing to make the jump to MLS. But I think that's coming. And we got a rather thing. Well, we got to wrap. What a, oh, sorry. Let me say what a great rivalry that would make, Rochester and and uh, Toronto. Absolutely, and we have to wrap things up here. But before I let you go, uh, what are some of the things that people from the Rhode Island area and the New England area in general uh, would get out of going to the National Soccer Hall of Fame? Well, first of all, you want to come August 28th and uh, cheer on Alexi Lalas as he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame on Monday morning, August 28th, and we're going to follow that up with a with a Hall of Fame game with the Red Bulls and Columbus Crew, there's uh, we talk about some of those early days and some of those great early teams. And a, a player like Bert Patnod out of, out of Fall River who scored the first hat trick in World Cup history in 1930. Uh, you can see some of those stories, the story of Billy Gonzalez from the Fall River area in those early years, and see some of the things we've done to recognize Major League Soccer and the New England Revolution. Monday morning, Jack, August 28th. 28th. 
Okay. And uh, you expect, you know, in the past we've seen players like Alexi Lass players getting inducted to play in the Hall of Fame game. you expect them to give it maybe one last chance to see them play again? Well, I, I'm always uh, hopeful that they'll want to do that, and, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for joining us again. And Hall of Fame, uh, I'll say I've been there before, and it's an excellent place to go visit. Certainly a, a must-visit for the soccer fans in this country. Thanks so much, Sean. I hope to see you in August. Thanks a lot. And that was... Uh that was Jack Huckle from the New England, from the National Soccer Hall of Fame, uh, joining us. Uh, and we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, as we mentioned, the World Cup winners, Italy, uh, excellent game there. Uh, Revs getting the win last night and also a loss against Colorado. But three, three of the last four games, the Revs have won. Uh, they're getting better since they've had Dempsey back from the World Cup, more players back. Should be some excellent, exciting games coming up against uh, Real Salt Lake Friday, as we mentioned earlier, uh, against Celtic on uh, next Wednesday. Uh, exciting schedule coming up, great games, and then also the All-Star game coming up uh, at the beginning of August. Beginning of August. Excellent game against Chelsea FC, the champions of England. So exciting games coming up this uh, for the Revs and for MLS. No let-up in good, high-quality soccer for this summer of 2006. Even though the World Cup ended today, it's going to continue. And people complained about MLS going on during the World Cup, but I think it helped to have that to, to watch, uh, especially after the U.S. were eliminated. Oh, I think it was, it didn't seem to interfere at all because of the timing of the games. I don't think there was any uh, interference. Um, and, and we'll wrap things up here, but I'd like to thank Patty for joining me today. Thank I'd, you, Sean. I'd like to thank Jack Huckle from the National Soccer Hall of Fame for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next week, uh, every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. And you can listen to archives at revolutionrecap.com. Um, and you can also get latest Revs news from anyrevs.com. So thanks for joining us today. Sporting News Radio, the number one place for sports on the air and online. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.